Amen. You may be seated. All right, you may be seated. Here we go, loved ones. Acts chapter 2, 1 to 13. So glad to be back here with you. If you do not have a copy of God's word, put up your hand nice and high because our ushers are coming forward right now and they want to put a Bible in your lap. And if I calculated correctly, the passage for today should be on page 530. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 13 on 530 in those Bibles that are being handed out. Well, super excited for tonight. We continue on in our next message in the series called To the Ends of the Earth, verse by verse, line by line, through the book of Acts. And the title of this message is A Promise Fulfilled. A Promise Fulfilled. Hey, Hope Ottawa, eyes up here. I got great news for you. Kids, kids, take this one to the bank with you. Don't ever forget this beautiful truth. Kids, do I have your eyes? I see some. I see some. Oh, there it is. There it is. I see them. I see them right across the front here. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, there and over here on the left. Perfect. Here's the truth, guys. Ready? Repeat after me. God always keeps his... Promises. I'll say it again. God always keeps his promises, which means every word of God will prove true. There is not one word out of God's word that will not prove true. Praise the Lord that we worship a God who keeps his promises. And you may say, well, what, what promise specifically are we looking at tonight? Well, The promise that Jesus made to the disciples back in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. Where he said this. You'll see it on the screen. Look at the promise. Every time you see will. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And everyone say it with me. You will. Let's try that again. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. That promise is about to get fulfilled in one of the most incredible days and important days in the history of the church. And if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you've repented of your sin and trusted in him alone as your Lord and Savior, this is one of the most important days in our family history. No question. It's actually one of the reasons that you heard the gospel in the first place and could respond. What's a witness? If you know, if you've been tracking with us through chapter 1 so far of the book of Acts, you will know that it is one who testifies to the person and work of Jesus Christ. One who declares who Jesus is. The Son of God. The Son of Man. Came to earth, incarnate in flesh, through a virgin's womb. Lived a perfect life for 33 years. Paid the penalty for our sin on the cross, the sin that you and I are born with and have inherited guilt before the Lord and can never be good enough to save ourselves. And Jesus lived a sinless life, went to the cross to pay the penalty for our sin, which is death and separation from God in hell for all eternity. He died and rose again three days later, defeating the power and penalty of sin for all those who would repent of their sin and confess him as their Lord and Savior. There's a witness who testifies. Even 
don't forget, as we'll see all throughout the book of Acts, one who is unafraid and even willing to die so that others may hear that and live. The conviction, the witness life is the conviction life. Let's get our context today. Here we are 10 days after Jesus' ascension. Remember, he's been on the Mount of Olives with his disciples 10 days ago, and he ascended up to heaven. And before he ascended, he says, I don't want you to jump on mission. You can't do it without this. You need to go to Jerusalem and wait for the Holy Spirit. And so 10 days since that moment, which means it's been 50 days since his resurrection. 50 days since Jesus has risen from the grave. And the disciples here in our text today are in an upper room. Upper room in Jerusalem as Jesus instructed them back in verse 4. He said, go into Jerusalem in the upper room and wait for me. And there's about 120 of them in this room. As we saw last week. And now, the day of Pentecost has arrived. And it's no coincidence. Talk about God being in the details, huh? The sovereignty of God. Do you know what Greek term Pentecost means? It means 50th. Interesting, huh? That's 50 days. And it is one of three major festivals each year in the Jewish calendar. It's called, Pentecost is called a pilgrimage festival where Jewish males, 12 plus from all over the world, would pilgrimage to Jerusalem for this one day festival to worship the Lord on behalf of their families. And it's a one day festival to celebrate the end of what's called the wheat harvest. Now you think, well, we harvest wheat all the time over here. Yeah, they're in a desert. So if you can harvest wheat in the middle of a desert, you better be thanking God for that because that's God's provision. All right, so that's why it's a very big deal. All right, and it happens in May and June every year. May, June, I think next year is like June 4th, I believe it is. And it is seven weeks or 50 days after the Passover. Remember, the Passover is when Jesus was crucified and then he rose again. And so it's 50 days after that. And Pentecost, hey, love this. Again, God in the details. Pentecost is also called the Feast of Harvest. That's so cool. We're going to see when we get to Peter's sermon of Pentecost, the next message, there's a different kind of harvest going on. There's a harvest of 3,000 souls. That's about to happen on this day. Awesome. Who can stop our God, huh? And so we have to realize this, loved ones. This is one of the most important days in the history of the church. Why? Because Pentecost signaled the inauguration of God's new blood. Get this. It signaled the inauguration of God's new blessing of power and presence into his church through the giving of the Holy Spirit. He's pouring out the Spirit, inaugurating a new blessing of power and presence. And it marks, here's here's what Pentecost marks, ready? Why it's so important. It marks the transition between the people of God in the old covenant to the people of God in the new covenant, which is the church. This is the transition moment of that. Now, I want to address something here. When you saw Acts 2, maybe in our e-news this week, and you hear Pentecost and pouring out a spirit, um, you may hear speaking in tongues, like we'll talk through tonight, by God's grace. You may hear that, and, and it may make some of you uneasy. I want to address this. Let's just call that out. 
it may make some of you uneasy. And I want to I express this, Hope Ottawa. It's very important to remember that people can be at different places and come from different backgrounds when it comes to the work, the person and work of the Holy Spirit in the church. Okay? People can come from different backgrounds and different places of understanding. Some of us in this room have come from places where there's been a major hyper-emphasis on the work of the Holy Spirit, even at some points to going beyond the bounds of Scripture. Right? And making prescription of the work of the Holy Spirit, what is description? Okay? That's where some of us are coming from. Then there's others in this church who, in order to avoid error... You've come from backgrounds that have really minimized the person and work of Holy Spirit because there's a mystery behind that, right? And so in order to not wanting to cross any biblical boundaries, there's been a, there's been a conservative push down to say, all right, it's there, but that's where we're going to leave it. So some of us in this room, as I preach through this text by God's grace tonight, you may think that I don't say enough about the Holy Spirit. You're like, say more and say more and say more and do more. Some of you, on the other hand, uh, will think that I'm saying way too much. And think, okay, I'm way out of my comfort zone here. Talking about tongues, tongues of fire, Holy Spirit. And just out of my comfort zone a little bit. But I want to be clear with us out of love for you as your senior pastor and one of your elders. Here's the reality, okay? Here's the reality. As a minister of the word of God, I am called before God as my judge to be a faithful expositor of God's word. It is not open to my interpretation. It is open to what God wants said. Preaching expositionally means, that word exposition means you expose the text in what God wants said, in the context he wants it, to the original audience with which it is written, and then by the power of the Holy Spirit you apply in the application from today. I don't get to inject the meaning I want on it or what will make it easier or harder. This is what God wants said. A particular text in a particular context to a particular audience in a particular period in how we apply it to our lives today. And so as such, here's the reality. This is why we go verse by verse, line by line through entire books of the Bible. We don't just do these brief topical things where we bounce in and out. We want the whole counsel of God. And it means this. That truth means this. The focus of this sermon right here is not to give you a full-scale systematic breakdown of the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. Okay, you may say, yeah, but what about, and what about? It's not the focus. Okay? You may see that you will see the speaking in tongues written in other places in the Bible. 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Corinthians 14, and a couple other times that we will address in the book of Acts. And you have to remember, there's different context for that. There's different audience for that. The church in Corinth hasn't even been established yet. What's going on here? And by God's grace, I would love to preach through 1 Corinthians, and we will address that by God's grace at, in the Lord's time. But I want to assure you of this truth, based on the authority of God's word, that Scripture will never contradict Scripture. Any other text on the speaking in tongues is not going to contradict what's going on here today. 
All right? That's very, very key to remember. Scripture will not contradict Scripture. And so rather, for tonight, the focus of this sermon is to have God's Word teach us about what He's declaring about the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit, specifically speaking in tongues, right here in this text, to the early church during this transition period. The inbreaking of God's kingdom to the world. The church being established and the disciples being empowered specifically for witness. And so regardless of where you come from, backgrounds, so thankful you're here. Regardless of what you have learned in the past about speaking in tongues, here's the reality in the work of the Holy Spirit. I think uh, we can agree on this truth. We must agree on it, and it's right here. It's the big idea for our text today. You'll see it on the screen. Write it down. The Holy Spirit is God's gift to the church. The Holy Spirit is God's gift to the church. And to live faithfully as Jesus' witnesses, we must depend on him. There it is. There's the big idea of Acts 2, 1 to 13. The Holy Spirit is God's gift to the church. And if we are to live faithfully as Jesus' witnesses, we must depend on him. And so here in the text today, we're going to see two truths about the Holy Spirit that we must believe and stand united in the Spirit on. If we are to be a church empowered by the Holy Spirit and faithfully and courageously living on mission as Jesus' witnesses and see him advance his kingdom for his glory. Ready to go? Get ready. I love this text. Let's get ready. Let's stand to honor the authority of God's word. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 13. Here we go. Acts 2, 1 to 13. Hey, kids, open your Bibles. Let's go. Read them nice and loud. Acts 2, 1 to 13. Let's go. The coming of the Holy Spirit. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others, mocking, said, They are filled with new wine. Hear the word of the Lord. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. 
You may be seated. What a text. Let's go buckle in Hope Ottawa. The first thing we see here is this. To live faithfully as witnesses, we must depend on the Holy Spirit. Why? It starts right here. You see it in the first four verses. He equips God's people with God's power. To live faithfully as witnesses for Christ, we must depend on the Holy Spirit because he equips God's people with God's power. Question confronting us from these first four verses is this, loved ones. We must be filled with the Spirit to be faithful and witness. Question, are you? Are you? Look at verses one to four. Go back to the text. It's so good. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly, there came from heaven, just picture the scene, all in one room, 120 believers. Suddenly, there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Okay, let's get our scene. 120 disciples all together in the room. We're not sure where this was. It could be the same upper room as where they had their last supper with Jesus. We just don't know. But what we do know, you can see it right in the text today, it's really close to the temple courts where thousands of Jewish men are gathered for Pentecost. Otherwise, how could they hear them? So it's really close to the temple courts. And suddenly, here they've been praying for 10 days, seeking the face and the presence of God, waiting for Jesus to fulfill his promise to send the Holy Spirit. And suddenly a sound comes from heaven. You see it in verse two? Go back to the text. Eyes in the text, guys. Verse two, it sounds like a mighty rushing wind. Now this isn't some gentle sea breeze. It's like, hmm, coming in. The, the word mighty rushing wind actually means violent. It's a violent force, like it's shaking the place. And it fills, do you see that? It fills the entire house. And then verse 3, notice what happens next. Divided tongues that looked like fire. Now notice the term as of. Okay, as of. This wasn't fire, like physical fire. This was as a fire. It looked like fire. It was a supernatural sign from God. These tongues of fire appeared and rested. Verse 3, that means settled in the Greek. It means settled on each of the 120 people uniquely. Rested on each of them. Uniquely given, each one. And verse 4, notice the text. They were filled. The word filled there means filled to the max. Filled to the limit with the Holy Spirit. And began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now let's get some clarity. Verse 4, that word tongues there, okay? The Greek word is glossa. Can you say that with me? Glossa. Glossa. And it means language or nation. The language of a nation. What it means is this. An actual human language used by a particular people group in distinction from other languages or nations. It means this. After being baptized in the Holy Spirit, the disciples are now able to... Get this. Baptized in the Holy Spirit. 
filled with the Holy Spirit, disciples able to speak an actual language of different people groups that they couldn't speak even a few seconds before. Just think about the power of our God for a second. These weren't ecstatic utterances coming from their mouths that no one could understand. We'll see the proof of that in a few verses. These were not ecstatic utterances out of control. No, because when you're filled with the Spirit, you are filled with the power of self-control. These were actual languages of different nations. And Luke will point that out in just a few verses. Now, why fire? Why come this way? Why did God choose this? This means, this picture. Well, remember, loved ones, in the Old Testament... Fire symbolized God's purity, his holiness. It symbolized his power. Remember our Elijah series, the fire from heaven. What's it symbolizing? The presence of God. And here, he's giving the picture, verse verse 3, that the Holy Spirit is filling the disciples with the presence and power of God and the ability to speak language of the nations in his power. Why is he doing that? To fulfill the promise from Acts 1-8, which was to be his, what? Witnesses. That's why he's filling them. To be his witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And you may say this. You may look at that, and that's awesome. Can we just agree that's awesome? God is awesome. But you may say this. Well, why isn't that happening today like this? Like, why isn't this happening? Why don't we see tongues of fire come down when the Holy Spirit comes and fills someone? I mean, why don't we see, like, one minute you don't know a language and the next you do? What's going on here? Let's get some clarity, loved ones. Praise the Lord. God's word is clear. Remember, what's happening in Acts chapter 2? to the believers, as they are baptized in the Spirit, is descriptive and not prescriptive. It is descriptive. It's a historical narrative, Acts is. It's descriptive. It's not prescriptive. It describes how the disciples received the Holy Spirit, tongues of fire, mighty rushing wind, but it is not giving the prescription for the manner or evidence in which the Holy Spirit is received now into one's life. Okay? Like, for instance, if I were to go around this room, and if you're a true follower of Christ, and I say, okay, put your hand up if when you received Jesus Christ and were filled with the Holy Spirit, there was a tongue of fire that came and sat on your shoulder. How many hands would be up in this place? None. Why? Because it's descriptive. You'll see why God did it this way. As the church was breaking in to the world. And here's the other thing this means. There's some confusion around this, loved ones. And I want to care for you well through God's word. Some confusion surrounding the key mark that shows whether you're saved or not is if you speak in tongues. That's um, not true. You say, well, how do you know this? Just go to 1 Corinthians 12.30, where Paul asks the question, do all speak in tongues? He asks it rhetorically to be like, no. The gifts of the Spirit are given by God, 
But do all speak in tongues? No. So it's not the defining mark. It's prescriptive here because God's about to send them to the nations. It's descriptive. It's describing what has happened and how he equipped them. So let's, let's recall this. The disciples here were living in a time of transition. Don't forget this. Context is key. Between the Old and New Covenant. And this was the first time the Holy Spirit's being poured out into the Jews. And a similar event would happen where people start speaking in tongues. A few chapters later in Acts 10, Lord willing, we will get there. As the Holy Spirit's poured out for the first time to the Gentiles in Acts 10. Only there's no tongues of fire in that moment. Their transition periods. Although the Holy Spirit was at work all through the Old Testament, just look at Genesis chapter 1, the Spirit of God hovered over the waters. Of course he was at work. He's the third person of the Trinity. He's fully God. He was at work all through the Old Testament, but this moment right here symbolized his coming in a new and powerful way. Remember, an inauguration and first fruits of the new covenant age, which is prophesied in Joel 2.28 which Peter will preach in the next part of the text, in the last days that God would pour out his spirit. And you say, well, wait, are we living in the last days? Yes, we are living in the last days. You say, how do you know that? Because the last days started with the inauguration of Jesus Christ. We're about to celebrate his birth. In the end days, remember Hebrews 1? God has spoken to us through his son. The end days started when Christ inaugurated when he was his birth, and now in this period of the last days until he returns. And in Joel 2.28 says the spirit will be poured out in the last days. And so here it is, as we will see more in Acts 2 next time. And we are in these last days today until Jesus returns. And now that the transition between the old covenant and the new covenant is over, listen, all who repent of their sin and confess Jesus as Lord, At that moment of salvation, they are given and baptized in the Holy Spirit. At the moment of our conversion. There is no second baptism. It's the moment of our conversion. We get all of him. You say, how do you know this? Well, if you flip over to 2 Corinthians 1.22, it says the Holy Spirit is the seal and guarantee of our salvation. There's no second baptism. Ephesians 4.5, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. One baptism. So why are we giving him? The same reason the disciples were giving him here. You'll see it on the screen. Because the mission of God can only be accomplished by the power of God. That's it. The mission of God to make disciples of all nations cannot be accomplished on your strength or mine, but only in the power of God. And his, the Holy Spirit empowers God's people with God's power. So here's what it means for us. Application. We must be filled with the Spirit to be faithful in witness, are you. And if you're here and you've never confessed Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, I want to be very clear and very loving with you. You are not filled with the Holy Spirit. You can't be. Because the Holy Spirit is only given through salvation, in Christ alone, by faith, in repentance and faith. Believing that Jesus Christ Son of God and Son of Man came to earth, lived a perfect life, not sinning once, went to the cross and paid the penalty for your sin and mine, died, was buried for three days. He paid the penalty that you and I deserved. 
took the wrath of God, drank the cup of God's wrath, rose again three days later, defeating the power and penalty of sin for those who would believe in him. Now, through repentance and faith in Christ alone, as the only Messiah, are you saved. Acts 4.12, there is no other name given among men by which we must be saved than the name of Jesus Christ. And at that moment of conversion, you are filled with the Holy Spirit and you get all of him. And he is the guarantee of your salvation and you cannot lose your salvation. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And so that is your first step. If you are here and you've never made that decision to follow Christ, that is your first step. And you will be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, believers, here's, you may say this. Well, wait a second. You just said I need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Aren't I already filled with the Holy Spirit upon salvation? Don't I already have all of them? True. You are filled with the Holy Spirit at salvation. However, even though we receive all of the Holy Spirit at that moment, we must continually be filled by him for his power to be at work in us. Empowering us to live as Christ's witnesses in both demonstration and declaration. You say you got something to back that up? Yeah, you bet I do. Look at the screen, Ephesians 5.18. It says this. Paul writes, he says, And don't get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. The term be filled there, the Greek term is an active imperative. It's an active command. It means be being filled again and again and again and again. Be being filled with the Spirit. Okay, let, here's the picture Paul's using in Ephesians 5. You'll see it on the screen. Any of you like sailing? Who here likes sailing? Anyone like sailing? Oh, this is not a sailing crowd. Okay, how about this? How about this? Anyone ever tried windsurfing? Anyone? Anyone? Oh boy, we're sinking here. So here's the thing. Here's, here's the thing. We've got sailing. Picture this. The picture he's using is being be filled with the Spirit. It means wind in the sails. Wind in the sails. And it's a picture of a sailboat. Now listen. No wind, no power. There's no wind. There's no power. You're not moving in that boat. No wind, no power. It, 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 Maybe if you've never tried windsurfing, let me, let me save you the embarrassment of trying to windsurf without wind. You know what happens? Maybe I know from personal experience. I don't know. You end up flat on your face. You don't move. It is fruitless to try without wind. There is no power in the same way, be filled with the Spirit. It is fruitless to try to witness without the power of the Spirit in you. It is fruitless to do any spiritual good. There is no saving or even sowing fruit without the power of the Spirit. No matter how much you try to depend on yourself or others, if I'm on that windsurfing board, I'm not moving. And the same in our witness. No wind, no power. And so you think of it this way. One baptism, but many fillings. One baptism in the Spirit, but many fillings. And you say, well, what does a life by the Spirit look like? I want this to be really helpful. Watch this. Jesus instructs us. A life by the Spirit starts with this. Ask Him. Ask Him. Luke 11 
verse 13 says this. Jesus says, if you then, who are evil, know how to good gifts, give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? How much more? When you go into the office on Monday, or you're on that call, or you're visiting your family for Christmas, things like this, how much more will the, Holy, will the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him for it? To be filled in that moment. Ask him, loved ones. Say, Holy Spirit, I need you right now in this moment. I need you right now in my parenting. I need you right now. I just, a life by the Spirit. I need you in this suffering. I need you in the trial. It's beyond what I can take. Ask him. Life by the Spirit starts right there. Secondly, set your mind on him. Romans 8. Romans 8, 5 to 6. Set your mind on the Spirit. Look at this. For those who live according to the flesh set their mind on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. The things of God. Loving what God loves, honoring what God honors. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. Let me ask you a question. Who's your mind set on? We're so easy just to set our mind on ourselves and the things of this world, aren't we? Instead of the spirit of God, the mind of God in us saying, Lord, help me to set my mind on things above and not on the things of man. What's your mind set on? Secondly, or thirdly, sorry, how do we live a life by the Spirit? Repent and obey Him. Repent and obey Him. 1 Thessalonians 5.19 is one of the most sobering passages in all of Scripture to me. He says this, do not quench the Spirit. That's a command. How? Do not despise prophecies, but test everything and hold fast to what is good. Here it is, verse 22, command. Abstain. From every form of evil. Man, we love to tolerate what God says is evil, don't we? In the movies we watch, in the songs we listen to, in the speech we say, in the attitudes we harbor, man, we love to not abstain from evil. In the selfishness we have, the impatience we live with, the gossiping we do, the complaining we have, are we abstaining? from what God says is evil. Not what this world says is okay. What God says is evil. That's the fastest way to quench the spirit, unrepented of sin. And so I implore you, as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, I implore you, loved ones, repent of any known sin and ask the Holy Spirit to reveal what is grieving him in your marriage, in your parenting, in your personal life, your thought life, your attitudes, your motivations, I implore you, do not quench the spirit. Abstain from every form of evil. Where are you quenching him? See, if you, have all of the whole, if you are a Christian, you have all of the Holy Spirit. But here's the question. Does the Holy Spirit have all of you? You have all of the Holy Spirit. If you're saved in Jesus Christ, but does the Holy Spirit have all of you? What areas are you not abstaining from evil in? Does he have all of you? Desires? Does he have all of you going into that meeting? Does he have all of you in your parenting? 
in your workplace, in your witness, in your leadership. Loved ones, hear, hear this. Life is too short and hell is just too hot to live a life where we are content to quench the Spirit's power in us. Where's the fervency? Come on. To live faithfully as Christ's witness, we must depend on the Holy Spirit. Why? Because he equips God's people with God's power. And with this final point today is this. Write this down. The Holy Spirit advances God's kingdom for God's glory. The Holy Spirit advances God's kingdom for God's glory. The Holy Spirit advances God's kingdom through God's people. Question, will you trust him? Will you trust him? Will I trust him? Verses 5 to 11, after the disciples are filled with the Holy Spirit, there's a lot of noise going on in that room. Would you agree? We got mighty rushing wind. We got all of a sudden all this speaking of different languages. 120 people, that'll make a noise. There's lots of noise going on. So much so that a multitude, look at the text, a multitude of Jewish men who'd come to Jerusalem for the festival from all over the world, they hear the disciples speaking in various native languages. Again, another scriptural evidence, which Luke goes on to emphasize in verse 6, 8, and 11 as well, that tongues were actual languages that people from those countries, those nationalities could understand. They were not ecstatic utterances that no one could understand. And notice the response of the men. They are bewildered, verse 6. Just like, mind-blown bewilderment. It means baffled and thrown into confusion. It's like, what's going on? I'm hearing all this stuff. I'm understanding what they're saying. What is happening here? See, here we see two ways that God advances his kingdom by the power of his spirit through the lives of his people. We see two things. He advances his kingdom, number one, write this down, through our weakness. Through our weakness. Our weakness. Look at verses 5 to 11a. Let's read. Here we go. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? Circle the word Galileans there, we'll circle back to it. And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes, there's going to be a test on this, see who can say this ten times fast, okay? Ready? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia. Look at the work of the Lord. Look at the power of God. Awesome. Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. Now notice why it's so important, they say, aren't these Galileans? Verse 7. See, what it means is they're from Galilee. You'll see it on the map. Here's, here's Galilee up there in northern Israel. That region on the Sea of Galilee. And Galileans had a reputation. And the reputation of Galileans was that they were uneducated and unsophisticated. That's why they're like, aren't these Galileans? Notice what they weren't saying. Oh, those are the guys from the Jewish rabbinical schools that are highly esteemed and educated. He's like, aren't these guys like the ruffians, the farmers and the fishermen from up north? Are this, what, what? These aren't the spiritual elite. They didn't go to any language school. In fact, Galileans, they had what, what was considered speech issues. 
because they couldn't pronounce the guttural of the Jewish language, the chet, chet. When I lived in Israel, it took like six months to get the guttural, chet. They couldn't pronounce that. And so what happens is they had an accent of trying to pronounce that, and then they couldn't pronounce the words properly. And so this is why these guys are bewildered. Because it made pronouncing Hebrew words clearly very difficult. And yet, look what happened right here. Don't miss the beauty of God's power. Through the power of the Holy Holy Spirit filling them, wind in the sails, they started speaking the language. Watch this, watch this right here. You see it all over here. There they all are. All the languages in verses 9 to 11. Look at that. Just stop and be in awe of the power of God. Don't miss it. Couldn't even speak the Hebrew language properly. And now look. By the power of God. Covered the entire known world in a second. Don't miss it. Who's like our God? Does that fill you? If you're saved in Jesus Christ, does that fill you with some confidence going into that Monday morning work meeting? When you, or when you talk to your neighbor tomorrow, or when you pass out a Christmas Eve invite, you think, look at, look at. Parthians, Medes, Elamites. You know what that is? Modern day Iran. Galileans start speaking Persian. Look, just, oh, but watch this. Watch this. Uh, Mesopotamia. You know what that is? Modern day Iraq. Covered. The stutterers. The ones not gifted with language. Watch this. Judea? That's the nation of Israel. No stuttering now. No stuttering now. Here's another one. Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia. You know what that is? Modern day Turkey. See right there. Asia Minor. Modern day Turkey. Egypt, parts of Libya. What's that? North Africa. Got it covered. The farmers, the fishers. We're heading to Libya. Here's another one. Rome. Rome, the farthest you could go at the time of the known world. It says Jews and proselytes from Rome. The Jewish people living in Rome, but also the proselytes. You say, what's a proselyte? That's a Gentile conversion to Judaism. A Gentile was converted to Judaism from Rome. What are they speaking? Italian. Mm-hmm. Watch this. Watch this. Watch this. The Cretans. That's not a dish for breakfast sides. It's people from Crete. I had to ask a waitress what Cretans were the other day. Did you know it's a breakfast dish? Anyway, whatever. He's talking about people from Crete. The island of Crete. Greece. Here's another one. Arabians. Near Damascus in Syria. Now here's the key we need to see as you look at that map. Bring it home. God didn't go to the educated. He didn't go to the Pharisees. He didn't go to the religious leaders. He didn't go to the spiritually elite, the sophisticated, and to those who thought they had it all together and could depend on their own strength. Who did he go to? He went to the desperate, he went to the humble. He went to the weak in man's eyes. And here's the key. The ones who he knew 
would be, it would be humanly impossible for them to witness like this. That's who God went to. Humanly impossible for you to do this. I'm going to you. I'm going to you. And here's the key we need to see from this. And I hope you're so encouraged as I was this week. You may not feel, loved one, you may not feel strong when it comes to living out your mandate to live as witnesses for Jesus Christ. Has anyone ever felt scared when you think about witnessing? A little fearful? Let's be honest, we're in church, we can't lie. Fearful, a little intimidated maybe? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What are they going to say? What's it going to mean for the job? What's all this? I don't have the words to speak. How can, what if they reject me? I can't convince it. Listen, this is, yet know this, right from this text, you'll see it on the screen. In God's kingdom, your weakness is not a detriment to your witness. It is essential. Boom! There's Pentecost. In God's kingdom, your weakness is not a detriment to your witness. It is essential. So that everyone knows that the power belongs to God. Boom! When that life gets turned, when that heart of stone is replaced with a heart of flesh, when the veil gets lifted and scales fall off the eyes, there's no way you and I can take credit for that. We're not smart enough. We're not advanced enough. We don't have all our little arguments all laid out. That's a work of God and God alone. Weakness is not a detriment to your witness. It is essential. You say, God, what am I gonna say? That's up to him. God's not looking for ability. He's looking for availability. Will you make yourself available? 120 little ruffians in the upper room. He's about to change the world. Weakness is not fatal, loved one. It is essential. God will always draw near to the desperate, the dependent, to those who know they need his power and call on his name and not rely on their own strength or other things beside him. If I could sum it up, I'd say God's hand is always on the humble, but his hand is against the proud. Those resting in their own strength, I got this, I got this. God's like, you sit down. Lord, break us of our pride. Amen? Amen. Because this way everyone knows who gets the glory. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. My powers may perfect in your weakness. So where do you need to repent of self-reliance in your witness and humble yourself before the Lord? Say, Holy Spirit, fill me. For, repent of my fear of man and thinking I had to be the one to convince them and thinking that I wouldn't have the right words. You're right, you wouldn't. That's why you need the Spirit. Secondly, we see here as we close out, God advances his kingdom through weakness, but also through declaration, through our witness. Notice this? So they got filled with the Spirit. They still had to do something with him. Right? Watch this. 11b, again. Both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocking said, ah, they're filled with new wine. It means they're drunk. Those guys are just drunk in that upper room. What's going on there? See, question for you. Did you catch it from the text? What was it the disciples were declaring as they witnessed in the power of the Holy Spirit? Did you get it? What were they declaring? the mighty works of God. They were declaring what God had done for the glory of God. They were not declaring themselves. 
They were not declaring their accomplishments, but they were declaring the mighty works of God, how God had worked in the past in the Old Testament, how he was still working through Jesus Christ. It was their declaration of praise. And here's the key we need to see from this. Spirit-empowered witness, get this, spirit-empowered witness always has God's glory as the goal and not our own. How do you know you're witnessing in the spirit? It has God's glory as the goal and not you. You're more concerned about the reputation of Christ instead of the reputation of self. There's a spirit-empowered witness. God's glory is the goal, not our own. It declares boldly and courageously of God's saving work through Jesus Christ to the world around it to see his reputation and kingdom advance as people respond to the gospel and are saved in Christ through the power of the Spirit. Recall, this is the mission of the Holy Spirit, John 16, 14. Glorify Christ and never distract from him. And so, amazing, just live in the text. Put the map back up, eyes up on the map, watch this. Just amazing. Look at that. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, God took 120 weak, outcast Galileans. And for the first time in history, watch this, he took the gospel global in advancing his kingdom and declared that the God, look, look what he's declaring right here in that upper room. The gospel was for the nations. The gospel is for the nations. I love how one commentator put this, Tony Merida. He said this, Pentecost is a little foretaste, oh, awesome, eternal perspective, of the global multitude that will one day unite in the praise to the Lamb and gives us a foretaste, right here, of heaven's culture, of God-given unity amid beautiful diversity. See, here's what we need to see. Man will use race to divide this kingdom. Man will use race to divide his kingdom. Notice Acts 2. God will always use race to unite and advance his kingdom for his glory. It is beautiful in his sight. Don't believe me? Okay, I want to challenge you to do this. Just look around this room. Just look. Go ahead. Take a look. You know, on last count, as elders, there were 40 to 50 different nations in this church. You think we did that? Not a chance. I'm a Galilean. You think we did this? Look around this room. You know, I was so blessed. I walked into service tonight. You know, the first thing I saw right there in that lobby I saw 30 kids running and playing together from so many different tribes and tongues and nations. There's no, there's no anger there. There's no division there. There's no hostility there. It's the beauty of the gospel, loved ones. It's so beautiful. I go around the table for pre-service prayer and every chair is filled with different people in different nations, seeking the face of God together. That's the beauty of the Holy Spirit at work in the church. 
you know, there's a kids' choir coming up. Hope Kids Choir next week. Yeah, come on. Pray for our Hope Kids. But you know what that choir's made up of? Children from every tribe, tongue, and nation. It will be right up here declaring the praise of God together as one. Yes, Lord. You look at the small groups. You look at our service teams. All striving together for the gospel. Not fighting and arrogant and destroying each other. And isn't it, loved ones, it hit me this morning. I'm sorry. Isn't it, isn't it just like the devil to take the greatest gift Jesus gave his church and have them divide over it? Look at the beauty of the Spirit. Why do we gather as the church on Saturday nights? Why do we not miss it? Because this is a little taste of heaven. Every Saturday, God's glory is coming down. This is a taste of eternity right here at Hope Ottawa. Don't forsake it. It's a work of the Spirit. And this is why we can clearly see our big ideas we close. The Holy Spirit is a gift to the church, isn't he? And to live faithfully as Jesus' witnesses, we must depend on him. Jesus says, this is how they will know. The world will know you're mine. Through your unity and love for one another. Because you don't see this in the world. You see anger. Hostility. You do not see this. See, the Holy Spirit will advance God's kingdom through witness. Will we trust him? As we go forth this week, hey, y'all got one of these Christmas invites? Yeah, bring it on. Hold them up. Bring them on. Love it. Way to go, kids. Love seeing it. Bring them up. Invite. Saturate your workplaces, your neighborhoods. Don't be afraid. Give them out. Leave it in the hands of God what he decides to do with them. Will we be a church? Will we be singles and families committed to live as Christ's witnesses in his power of the Holy Spirit to a lost world crying out? Will we live dependent, humble, weak, and yet bold and fervent, trusting that God will equip us with his power through the Spirit and advance God's kingdom for his glory? You in, church? You in? Let's go. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, I thank you for the gift that you are to, your, to the church. Jesus Christ, I thank you for sending the Holy Spirit as our helper, our comforter, our guide, our counselor, our advocate, and so much more. Lord, thank you for the beauty of your church. I just thank you for your church. So often we just complain about your church. It's so beautiful. Thank you. Thank you for what you're doing in this church, Holy Spirit, from all across ages and races and generations. Thank you. Thank you for the gift of this church. Lord, I pray you would empower us on witness. 
Holy Spirit, empower us to seek out the lost and to speak boldly in Jesus' name, declaring the beauty of the gospel, telling of the mighty works of God. We have no hope apart from you. And so, Spirit, would you, would you revive us, please, that your people may praise you, that the lost would be found, that the veils would be lifted, and that your glory would be seen. In Jesus' mighty name, we pray. Amen. Loved ones, will you stand and respond in worship with us today?